Hey, Taco Tuesday fans, this is Christian Brindle. And I am Glenn Shelton. We came together and it combined our forces to create something special for insurance agents called Taco Tuesday. Let's talk about insurance. My company, Christian Brindle Insurance Services, and my company, Lead Heroes, is here to bring you the latest and greatest news happening in the insurance industry today and eat some tacos while we do it. If you enjoy the content that we put out on this podcast, feel free to leave us a review or subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Without further ado, let's get into this episode of Taco Tuesday. Here we are. Um, greetings and salutations, as David Duford would say. And um, I'm going to start using that on every single Taco greetings. Tuesday. Greetings. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens out there. <laughs> well, um, everybody, welcome to Taco Tuesday. Uh, thank you for being here. We have a very, very special guest here with us today. We have the one and only Brian Tobias. Um, Brian, thank you for being here today. How are you? I am great. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, um, I know. I know. You know, when when we first started posting that you were going to be on here, there was a lot of people that were like really excited about it because you're somebody that has a ton of knowledge in the industry. You know, like I've I've seen you post several things that I like, like. I would go back and read it, and I'd say, "Be like," I'd think to myself, "Like I didn't know that. I had no idea that was the way that worked." So, mm-hmm. like, um, it's always awesome to be able to come on and just have like a really good conversation with someone that's incredibly knowledgeable about like the 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 behind the scenes stuff. Sure, absolutely. Value can come in a bunch of different formats. Right? Did you bring tacos? I did not. <laughs> Brian, <laughs> what? I got a bottle of water. That works. That works. So the taco water, taco <laughs> water. <laughs> so so last week, um, Glenn and I were talking about because because last week I showed up with a sushi burrito. You mm-hmm. did. So I was talking about showing up this week with breakfast tacos, like crepes. We're calling them breakfast tacos. Mm-hmm. And um, did you? <laughs> I didn't do it. I didn't do it. But I'm 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 gonna have to one of these days. I was joking with my office staff about it, and they were like. They were like, that's hysterical. They're like, we should totally do that. And I was like, we will. We will. Um, but today I got old reliable Cafe Rio. What we've been doing recently is we've been putting like five or six local Mexican food places in a hat or like a and, and like mixing it up. And then I've I've been drawing out of it. And like that's what we've been doing to mix it up a little bit. I went homemade today. Actually, Tony. I don't know if you're watching this, but I think you'd be proud. It was about eight hours of smoking freaking pork yesterday, but turned out great. And it was in preparation for pork tacos today. So, Tony, another thing I wanted to mention, too, Tony believes that you only use salt and pepper when you're smoking meats. Um, I want Tony, I want you to know I used a whole can of cherry Coca-Cola apple juice there was plenty of seasonings Ooh. i don't i don't understand how someone who just cooks with salt and pepper can possibly compete with someone who <laughs> won't step outside the box so 
I'll, I'll step off my soapbox there, but so, Brad, I'd love to, uh, if you, you know, I'd love for you to kind of introduce yourself for those of you yeah. who are watching or listening, who might not know who you are or, or know your background. I'd love if you took a minute and just kind of introduced yourself. Absolutely. I appreciate it, Glenn. Um, a lot of people have heard my name, but they don't know who I am or, or exactly what I've done. So, uh, you know, just to check up from the neck up, actually yesterday I celebrated, celebrated my 14th year in the insurance business. Wow. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. I have never had a job outside of the insurance business out of high school. I was hired at 18 years old. Um, I operated on a temporary license. I worked for a captive agency for nine years. The company was called Sterling Life Insurance. It was based out of uh, Bellingham, Washington. Uh, So basically my history was I started off as an agent. I was promoted to a sales manager. Um, had a very successful team, was promoted to a market manager, which I had my own office in Dallas, and then ended up being a regional type manager over a several different areas, uh, areas of Oklahoma, Texas, and Louisiana. Uh, unfortunately, you know, at the time I thought it was unfortunate. I had a very large renewal base, had been with the company for nine years. Cigna bought the company in 2015. Well, when Cigna bought the company out, um, they decided that they were just going to clean the books and they were going to take the 16 or 18% that we were getting in med stuff. And we thought that was really, really good and just wipe it complete, completely away. They, they terminated every admin to the president of the company, every salesperson, everybody was gone. They terminated that day, like 340 people. Um, when, when they terminated everybody, um, sorry, I'm not sure what happened here, guys. When they terminated everybody, um, you still see me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see it fine. My computer went blank. Uh, when they terminated everybody, what ended up happening was, is I was left with a couple of different options. Um, Mutual of Omaha Captive uh, had been recruiting me pretty hard and heavy. And I just, I went for the interview. They made me an absolutely excellent offer for myself. Um, it was it was a really good offer that I could have made the same money, if not more, than I was making in my previous position. But where it wasn't good was for my team. And the whole reason that they wanted me is they wanted to bring my team with me. And they knew that to a degree, some people were going to follow me. So what ended up happening is I shopped it around a little bit. And, you know, sometimes you believe in, in faith. You, sometimes you don't. I don't know what happened. I had never heard of, of Premier ever in my life. Premier happened to cold call me. And it was just right timing, right day. They flew down to meet with me. Um, we, I started off my agency July 1st of 2015. I uh, started off that day with 22 agents. So in my region of who was left um, selling at that point in time, all but one agent took the, the trip with us. Um, one agent decided to get out of the business completely. So day one, we started off with 22 agents. That's the MedSup agency. Um, from an agency standpoint, I found out pretty quickly that my business model had a large flaw in it. And that large flaw was that it was really, really, really hard to make money on the med sub side uh, as an agency. Really good for the agent, not so good for the agency. Right. One, one of the big things that I, I felt is, is that I wanted to deliver value to my crew. And I learned a long time ago that generally people move to leads or money. Um, a street level contract, a street level contract. You can't do any better than that. And, you know, unless they have a large downline, you can't do anything on the money piece either. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to make my value prop that I provided leads for people. Um, I've spent a significant amount of money in direct mail. Uh, what I found though is the, 
med sub market didn't leave, leave enough money on the table to actually supply leads for people. So what ended up happening was I was at, I qualified for Premier's carrier trip, went down in Panama, um, uh, Premier's FMO trip, let me rephrase that, was down in Panama, was offered a position with Premier as a national sales director doing recruitment of large agencies. That was in 2016. So uh, my wife took the reins of the agency, which is called American Entitlements. Um, she ran the day-to-day -day operations of that. I worked with some of the bigger names in these Facebook groups for, for professional reasons. I won't name them. Um, but I worked with several, several, several of the large groups that are in here. I mean, there's probably 500 agents I'm affiliated with via these Facebook groups. And they may or may not even know that they are affiliated with me via their upline. Um, <laughs> That's we, how it goes sometimes, right? Yeah, it is. It is. So we had a really good run. Um, I decided the very beginning of this year, um, I mean, I've worked with uh, telesales agents, field agents. Um, at one point in time at, at the peak, I had roughly 4,000 agents that I worked with nationally. Um, I decided January 8th of this year that it was time to spread my wings and focus solely on my agency. At that point in time, I actually departed from Premier uh, from a salary position and uh, went to focus on my agency. So you know, in, in the meantime, several large groups um, have moved to me. In fact, in the last uh, 48 hours, I had a group here from South Texas, and uh, there's the potential that another uh, 75 agents or so are going to be joining the agency, which will push us over 700 agents nationally. Wow. We, you that's know, that's so, contracted, or is that agents actually writing business every week? That is contracted agents, and I would say that the 80-20 rule is not really in play there. It's more like the 60-40 rule. Um, we, have, we have a pretty big producing um, count of agents. Um, last month, the MA count, just the MA count, no other products at all, uh, was 1885 MA enrollments for the month of February. So it was a pretty strong month. Um, we, you know, I don't say that we sell one company over another one. We're pretty even across the board. Uh, we have, I think, a unique uh, platform and approach as far as the leads piece goes. And wh where the, the interesting thing on the leads piece is, is that you'll find that, and, and without going into a whole lot of details, a Medicare Advantage plan will be much more apt to help you lead flow-wise than the MedSup companies. And that's both at the agent level and the agency level. Right. right. So that's why, you know, nationally, there's some interesting numbers and then we can go as far down as we just want to go. But I, I learned a long time ago that MedSup's out-enrolled Medicare Advantage plans six, seven years ago, five to one. Right. So every one Medicare Advantage, there were five MedSup's being enrolled. The number that I heard through AEP last year was six to one the other way. Yep. So I've heard that too. Days. Yeah. So, that, I mean, that's, that's an insane number. And then, you know, the, the other thing is, and this is one of the things that if I can ever go on a soapbox and rant about this one, I feel that there's a lot of people in, in Facebook communities and forums online and everything that brag about production and make agents feel bad about themselves. Um, this, this statistic should boost everyone's confidence who listens to this. The average agent, and this is a nationwide statistic, and this blows my mind. The average agent in AEP is worth three applications to a carrier. Yeah. 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 I've heard that a lot too. That's a crazy number if you get to thinking about it. And some of the geo targeted markets, like listen to this one. 
United Healthcare in the Dallas market owns 60% of the market space. So 60% of people who have a Medicare Advantage plan have a United Healthcare policy. In Dallas, the average agent is worth 2.3 apps. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy that the numbers that pop out there. So, you know, I, I could pull up one of the things that I'm a, a, a big um, fan of, or I, I support big time is numbers. I mean, this is a numbers driven business. Um, whether you're tracking your cost per acquisition, you know, your return rate on leads, whatever type of return rate, whether that's social media, Google, AdWords, um, co-reg data, some of you may or may not have heard that term before. Uh, if you're tracking your true cost per acquisition, you, you've got to know your numbers backwards. Another thing that's interesting from an agency standpoint is that one needs to work their leads properly. And so the, the big problem that you run into is that if you give Sally 10 leads, how hard is Sally working those leads? There's no buy-in from Sally on those leads. And the model that we have developed is that we're providing leads for people, but we want to make sure they're efficiently worked. I mean, that's only fair to the carrier partners that we have, as well as us, the agency, for providing said leads. And and I think the biggest thing that happens is, is that, that agents have unreal, unrealistic expectations of what actually is being done out there. Like, honestly, if you write 100 policies in AEP, you're a top 5% producer. I don't care what anybody tells you out there. If you write, I would say the average producer that I do business with, I would say an AEP probably does 40 applications. And that's, that is a real number. So these, yeah. these guys that post three and four and five and 600 applications. I'm not saying that they're lying. Could it be a fish story? Absolutely. I mean, understanding every conversation somebody's buying and somebody's selling. Um, some people want to see their names in the, in the, in the starlight and all that. Th that's not me. I, I can tell you my personal for what it's worth with as big as the agency goes. And I'm going to take telesales out of this because I have a couple big telesales accounts. The largest field agency or field agent in my entire agency last year in AEP sold 270 apps. Hands down, the biggest producer was, was about 50 apps better than number two. Um, and I'm, I'm going to tell you that her secret, it's a, it's a lady in a uh, state that you wouldn't think would be a big MA state. And I'll leave it at that. Um, her secret is she works harder than everybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, there, there's no secret sauce. She's not doing anything that anybody that's in the business doesn't engage himself in. She just, she works six days a week, Monday through Saturday. And then, you know, she has to work. She works on Sunday. I mean, she, to be in the 1%, you've got to do what the other 99% won't do. And that's, that's what her success model is. And, and I think the, the other big thing from an agent standpoint, just to, to be on a soapbox while I have the mic for a second is that don't be one dimensional in your lead flow source. Like if you're good with direct mail, be good with direct mail. But what happens if the mail shuts down? Mm -hmm. you, know, what, you know, if you're good with social media ads, be good with social media ads. But what happens if you know, Facebook's algorithm changes and you can no longer effectively buy Facebook ads? You need to have some organic traffic coming in, whether that's by lead flow uh, or referral flow, or if you have some Google AdWords out there, branding yourself in a community, something. What, what I would say is don't be one dimensional. And, and here's, I'll give Rebecca Davis a shout out for this one. Rebecca Davis motivated a couple of people. I do business with Rebecca. Uh, Rebecca uh, motivated several of my internal teammates. And she may or may not even know this. I gave her accolades when she did it. She may not even remember doing this a year and a half ago. She hosted a uh, conference call internally with our agency and went over her, um, her marketing strategy as far as doing retail events. 
One of those agents picked up on that, and that particular agent, her entire business model is built around doing uh, 15 events a week. She does three a day, educational type events. She goes to the same places every week. That's my number two agent. Now, the problem with, with that business model is what happened when COVID hit. She couldn't do the retail stuff anymore. So she had to kill her. It it absolutely killed her. So what ended up happening is she had to recreate herself and and there's nothing wrong. You know, I would say I've seen a big change in in the Facebook groups as far as, you know, um, self, self education or self uh, motivation with these different books that are out there. There are some really great books that are out there. You know, one that I swear by that, I think everybody should read, and it's it's one that even Floyd Mayweather can uh, read. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. The that book is called "Who Moved My Cheese," and if you've never, oh, I love that book. Yeah, I, I highly good. recommend that book. I mean, it's a short, sweet book. I mean, I actually think I have it up there. I probably do. Um, the The book is just an awesome book, and what it basically gets down to the, the premise of the, the book is don't get stuck in a way that you're doing business because we're in a business that's ever changing. And I mean, that's my takeaway from the book is that that never get so squared and so focused that you're not willing to be uh, the the term that I'll use is fat, which is flexible, adaptable, and trainable. If you get so laser focused on that, this is the only way to operate. You're going to get passed by. And I think that what COVID taught me uh, personally was I was a really big field guy still am. I, I really support field sales. I'm a very large direct male proponent as well. I saw Chris Weir post on one of those. Chris Weir's one of a good part, a good partner of mine. I personally last year probably spent, I don't know, I guess three fifty or four hundred thousand with Chris. I mean, I'm I'm that big of a proponent of direct mail. I, I spend a lot of money in direct mail. The the, the problem is, is that if you have people not willing to engage in, in, the, in the practices of calling those leads, there's no point in generating the, the uh, responses. So with, um, with, with the direct mail, I mean, I think that it, what it taught me was is that this business is moving to a teledigital format, meaning that whether that's a blended cycle using some kind of resource such as the Medicare Center or Sunfire platform doing outbound enrollments or whatever the case is, I think that um, you've got to be flexible, adaptable, and trainable. Now, I made mention of the top agent that I do business with in uh, the field. I'll throw one out there that might blow your mind. My top telesales producing agency that I do business with has 13 agents in it. That agency in AEP sold 2,700 policies with 13 agents, with one carrier. So make sure that, you know, the the approach is this. If you focus on your activity, the results will follow. So like I said, just what what I want to do is I don't ever want to be the guy. And I think part of sales is, is that the hardest part of sales is staying motivated day in and day out. You know, this is something, and it's ironic as I have it here. One of my guys, and I'm going to just throw this one out there. It's actually kind of funny. If he's watching this, he'll laugh at this because I, I tried to pump him up today. There was something taught to me a long time ago, and I'm going to see if it'll if you can see this. My handwriting is terrible. But there's two Better circles. than mine. There's two circles there. One is labeled control. The other's label is concern. So if you see it pull away like that. And the whole premise of that model is, is that you've got to focus – 
your your concern on what you can control. There's a ton of stuff that happens in this business that we can't control. Stay focused on the positive, and that's going to make you a better agent, a happier spouse. I mean, it, it'll help you 360 degrees. Because remember, the business is one thing, but families are completely, you know, a, a different animal in itself. And if you're negative with work to your family, that's never a good environment to be in. So, um, you know, I, I will say this too. I quit this profession six times a year. I get bent out of shape and I don't care who the producer is. If somebody, and I'll call him out right now for it. If you wanted to call Justin Brock out on it, call Justin Brock up and ask him how many times he quits the business a year. The, the deal yeah. is you get upset and emotional about, and it doesn't matter the topic. It can be a carrier rep misrepresented something to you or promised something to you or an agent did this or a, you know, one of your good clients, you know, changed what their policy without telling you or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, Tomorrow's a new day. And I think that so many facets of this business is that you just got to focus on the so what next move on, whether it's, you know, the next prospect, if you're dialing a lead, um, you know, I haven't really been too engaged with listening to what other people are doing in the business because I know what, what has worked for myself and I keep it, you know, small niche with, with my group. But the one thing that I can tell you from a prospecting standpoint is that is the mentality that you absolutely have to have in prospecting. So what next? And and, and that's something that I, I, I do feel strongly about that. Just know that if you are producing an app a week, you're doing more than the average agent out there. So, right. I have a, I have a few questions for you, Brian. And, um, and me so, too. Me too. There's a lot yeah, there. I want yeah, to unpack a lot, lot of this. Yeah, a lot to unpack. So I want to start at the beginning of kind of what you're talking about. So Christian and I were talking about mergers and acquisitions. We had like a whole episode where we talked all about it. And so I thought it was really interesting when you mentioned Cigna coming in and, and buying the agency and then essentially removing those renewal commissions from you. How quickly did that happen? What was the time gap between Cigna coming in and buying it and then saying, hey, we're not paying commissions anymore or renewals anymore on this book? So it was actually really, really bad. So the answer to that question is I was I knew about the acquisition in February. Mm hmm. Um, obviously with the role that I had, I had a little bit more insight than the agents knew. And I was, you know, for professional reasons, I had to only disclose what I could disclose. Um, I was told on several different conference calls that there would be no changes, that it was just going to be new ownership. Everybody would continue to operate as it was. I'll never forget this date. I told you July 1st was the date that they officially bought the business. I'll never forget this because it's my mom's birthday. June 22nd, I get a phone call that says, hey, there's a conference call in 15 minutes. I need you to be on. And I said, OK. So the, pre the then president of the company comes on the phone and and not so many words says, um, just to let you guys know, I will not write a letter of recommendation for anybody. That was basically the frame of the call. <laughs> and it was a call 30 minutes later with the entire company. So the answer to your question, Glenn, is we had eight days. So just wow. totally blindsided, completely blindsided. And here's the thing that sucks. You know, the renewals is a real thing. And I'll throw a number out. That's a real number. My renewals at that time were $164,000 a year. Sure. I was making more money at 27 years old than any of my friends. Yeah. And here's the crappiest scenario about that. I was captive when I left, I was paid a severance of $40,000 for my book of business paid out over nine months. Gosh. Yeah, insult injury there. So, I mean, if be thankful for what you have going here because it so, could be worse. So, I'm yeah. assuming that I'm assuming your agent agreement there was it was probably totally within their legal right to do all that. 
Yeah, I mean, we weren't vested. I mean, we were vested as long as we were employed. Right. So, no. so Brian, I have I have a question for you because um, I I, I want to unpack a little bit more about like what you said because you and I had talked on Facebook Messenger a little bit about like the Facebook groups, you know, and kind of about that topic. And we've we've had we've had other people on that have kind of you know um, kind of echoed those statements that you've made, you know, that like the average. I mean, I me and Joanna have talked about it like a billion times, you know, over you know over the last couple of years about it, and you know, I mean. I get I get the data from our FMO, right? And it's it matches the data that I hear from from you and Joanna and other people in the industry. Like the average agent is not really writing. Like I think the most recent thing I saw was the average agent from like the whole year from January to December was like five or six apps a year, something like right. that. That's the United Healthcare one that I dropped for Dallas. The average is two point three apps a producer per year for United Healthcare. And yeah. yeah, like but but my question, so I guess my question for you about that is because I've, I've had these kind of similar thoughts because it seems like there's a lot of people in various groups. And, and, and you know, I, I, know, I know that a lot of them are monster producers, right? So I don't, I don't want to ever cast any aspersions to anybody. But for all the people that come out and puff their chest out and say, you know, I wrote like 35 apps this week or something like that, you know what I mean? And I did, you know, I don't know, I, I, I did, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars of commissionable final expense, you know, this month or something like that. Like all these different numbers get thrown out there. It seems so bizarre. I mean, my brain goes to the point where not all of these people can be telling the truth. Right. Well, I think that I don't know that I would necessarily say it's not the truth, but I wouldn't say it's 100 percent factual. And here's why, where I'll, I'll justify my statement in that. If you are a big final expense producer, you know, you're not supposed to flip your business, but we all know that that happens. So if you go out and write 30,000 in premium in a week, how much of that premium is actually new premium that's not, you know, been on the books for 14 or 18 months where you're not making any money anymore? So if, if that answer to that question is you go out and you write $25,000 in new business, but only 3,000 of it's a new, you know, actually new business, you're just churning your book. $3,000 in final expense premium, you're an average agent. You're not, I mean, 25,000 isn't there. It's the same thing if you're a big med sub shop. Uh, I was going to say that sounds, that sounds like med sub all day. These, these yeah. ag- telephonic agents or agencies that I'll speak with and half of their business per month is just people they're rolling from one, one carrier to another. And again, it can be done ethically and it can be done, you know, in a way that actually helps the beneficiary. But I also think that there's people who are doing it unethically too. So it's, it's tough. To, Rewrites. Yeah. And, and, I would, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly, you know, because the, the thing that you get down to where MedSub gets hard with an agency is that, you know, if, if you really factored out in most markets, a point in spread in, in an override, and, and I won't go any deeper than that, is worth 15 bucks a year. So if, if I have an agent go out and write, you know, four or five MedSubs in a week, I mean, I, I don't get excited about making 75 or 90 bucks. There's just no money there. So where it's good for the agent, you know, an agent can go out and write that. They can, you know, keep it as earned where they're not getting any new money, but they're getting that $150 spiff on the bonus from the carrier. And that's what they're living on. I mean, you're not at that point, you're, you're a manager, you're working for the company and you're not growing a business. You're what you're doing is you're a slave to a bonus. And, and that, that is a failure model to me long-term. It, it's not, it, it's not sustainable long-term because if all you do is churn your book, what happens when that book dies 
or what happens when, when your book ages in, you know, that they're 80 years old and they can't qualify anymore? What happens when there's, you know, some kind of, if there's another issue that happens like COVID and a life insurance carrier says, hey, we're just not taking business right now. Or what happens when, a, you know, a carrier gets sanctioned and you lose all your book of business and it's locked in? Or I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things that can happen. And, and I, you know, when, when we track numbers in my agency, um, we track new business. Conserving business, you absolutely need to do it. You absolutely need to do it. But don't, I don't judge anything by how much business that we rewrite that's already on the books. I mean, because we're trying to grow the lives on the books. And, and when you flip one to another, you're long term. I, I think that's where the biggest half truth is in the numbers that are posted. You know, and it's like if you're flipping, you know, one in AEP, you'll see if somebody posts that they did 350 applications. I'm not going to call you a liar, but 350 new applications in AEP, I'm going to say is virtually impossible. Unless there is some kind of big market shift or market disruption, you're just not, you, I mean, you feasibly don't have enough time. I mean, you're going to average eight policies a day doing that. How, how can you feasibly do that ethically and compliantly? And, and the answer is, I mean, you know, we both have two ears, two eyes, and, a, and one head. I mean, there's 100 pennies in my dollar, 100 pennies in your dollar. I mean, there's no way that if the, the biggest producers out there can't do that, I just don't see how. I, I, would, I would agree with, with what you said. I mean, and, there's, and, there's – And how for, many of them, too, you know, to kind of piggyback on that, like there's a – I mean, we all know that there's some of those people out there anyway that you see on some of, like, leaderboards for med subcares and things like that. There's P, There's – several people in their office that are writing under their writing number and not putting all the business under multiple different places. They're all putting it under one number. So it looks like there's one guy writing like a thousand med subs a year or something like that. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of that too going on. I actually saw a report. Interestingly enough, I'll leave the, uh, the group unnamed one gentleman in the month of February had 189 med subs. I'm, I mean, that's six a day. I'm, I'm not, not going to say it's impossible, but I'm going to say that's impossible. You know, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense that, that something can, and you're absolutely right. There's a lot of ghost driving gets done. There's a lot of um, ghost, ghost writing. I like that. I like that too. <laughs> I want to borrow ghost that, Ryan. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's a big telesales game that's played. And I mean, you know, ironically, the group that I had up here, I didn't realize that, that was done on the field side. You know, I was told that there's a whole regime of people out there out there that's door knocking um, clients without a license, setting an appointment um, for Medicare Advantage. And I, I don't know how that's compliant. I mean, they're not licensed, so I don't know what can what the recourse can be on that. But there's a whole conglomeration of people out there door knocking these clients, you know, paying somebody seven dollars an hour and then giving them five bucks an appointment they set. And these agencies, uh, these agents are going out there and, and writing the, the business. I, I just don't see. You know, I this is this is one of the, the firmest sayings that I will say, and, and anybody that knows me knows that I'll use this and I live by this, and that is, what's done in the dark will come to light. I mean, it's it's only a matter of time until you're exposed. And, and one of the things that I find interesting about the Facebook groups, to go back to that comment, is that there'll be people that will post monstrous numbers, and they'll they'll be whether they are true that they're rewrites, if they're new business if they're fish stories, whatever, what I've, what I've seen with a lot of the big guys that have made posts and accusations or not accusations, not the right term, but 
you know, try to puff out their chest to use a term that you use, uh, Christian. They puff their chest a few times, they get called out and then they disappear. I mean, they go, they go to the wayside. So, I mean, I'm not going to use any names there, but there's, I'll, I'll use this name. One of my favorite people in this business, and I'm sure Joanna's uh, watching this, Andrew Strange um, gave me a little Wayne lyric that I really liked. It said, real G's move in silence like lasagna. And the funny thing- <laughs> I, I I love him, by the way. I got a chance to meet him for the first time in Memphis at Medicare Con. And, you know, I mean, he's he's just a solid dude. Like, I he's really a, like him. He's a really genuine guy. I mean, we, you know, we connect on several different levels as a friend and, you know, family type level. And yeah, the, the thing that, that's interesting about these groups are is that I know some of the people that are in these groups that are legitimate monsters. And they never say a word. They, they never say a word. And so I, I mean, with, I don't want to call them to the carpet, but I know that in, in several of the groups, even in, in, in your group, Christian, there's a guy in there that he's a med sub guy that writes $3 million a year mutual of Omaha premium, legit new business, all T65. Whew. And you wouldn't yep. know that unless he told you that. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, we talked about this before too. I mean, it's such a small fraction of the industry in these groups. I mean, I was just talking to someone this week or actually it was last week and they were talking about how this agency, I think it was somewhere in Florida that sold for like 80 million or a hundred million dollars. And I had never even heard of this agency until I was told it had sold. And I just, you know, there's so many of those, you know, out there of people who are just monsters in the industry that you never even hear about, or they're not active in Facebook groups. And um, yeah, it just makes you think, cause again, I think part of the problem with those Facebook groups is it paints this picture and you and people come into it and they think they're looking at everything. They think they can see everything. Okay. You know, here's the top five producers, you know, in the U S and here's, here's the main agencies and, and yada, yada. This is what an agent should be producing. Um, so I think it can kind of distort reality to, to some degree for sure. Absolutely. I've, I've, no. I've had, I've had several agents, you know, like new agents of ours where like they'll be in different groups and, and something somewhat in mind too. Like when we first started the group, I was guilty of this too, to where I'd, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd put up for a week be like, this is what I wrote this week. And then people would come into the comments and like, no one's going to post if they had a bad week. Very Absolutely. few people like no one's going to come in and be like, I did a PDP, you know, all week or something like that. You know what I mean? But I, I kind of pulled back from doing that because I, I had a lot of agents that I would talk with, you know, that I think are just un- incredible. Like there's one that comes to mind that works with us on her, her Medicare contracts here in Utah. And she's mostly an ACA agent, but she's a good Medicare agent too. She's just a solid, very, very, very good agent, you know, um, top 1% in my opinion, you know, of, of how good she is. And I was talking to her on the phone, like maybe six months ago. And she was like, I kind of got out of the Facebook groups because they make me feel bad about myself. Absolutely. That's terrible. I, I was I, like, I've said that for years, even, even people like I've had that conversation with Tyler Reese. I mean, he was in my office a, a, a while back and we had a conversation about that. And I'm like, you know, I, I think that it just gives a false sense of reality. And, and, Glenn, you mentioned something just a second ago about not knowing who movers and shakers are. I mean, there's there's people in your own backyard. I found out there's a, a call center that and I thought I knew everybody. There's a call center that's like seven miles from my office that I didn't even know was there. And it's been in operation since 2006. Had yeah. no clue it was even there. But yeah. here's something that I want to, to blow your mind at. And and I don't know other 
other FMOs numbers, but I know that I read the most recent release when Integrity announced that they bought Copeland. Um, you know, the conglomeration, and, and let this sink in for a second, the, the real-life numbers, because like I said, this is a numbers business. And Integrity has 320,000 contracted agents. Now, that doesn't mean that 320,000 agents have all their contracts. They could be, you know, one exclusive med supper. It could be a lifer. It could be whatever. The largest Facebook group centrically focused on Medicare has, I believe the number was achieved this past week was 6,000 agents, or maybe it was 7,000. You know, yeah. that's that's 2% of the people that Integrity have <laughs> under contract. I mean, the, the one thing that I've told people that, that recruit and, and understand that you can make money in recruiting long-term if you do it right, but just slinging contracts is not the correct way to recruit. And, and you can't recruit to money. If you recruit by money, you're going to die by money. If somebody comes to you because of more money, they're going to leave you because of more money too. And, and the thing that I want to tell you about this, just from, if you could take a piece of insight and, and administer it for those of you who are a GA or an MGA or an SGA, FMO, whatever you want to call yourself, uh, and understand that those names are extremely abused. Um, everybody's recruiting in Facebook. Everybody is, is fishing in the same pond. And it's interesting, you know, when some of the groups that I worked with when I was employed by Premier would have, um, they had most of their contracts, if not all of them with me. There were three large accounts, and I won't use their names. But what was very interesting that I would see is that because I was the manager of all three of those accounts, I would see agent A go to agent agency B, <laughs> then go to agency C, then back to A. And that agent never wrote any business. They kept flocking to the greener grass and there was never any greener grass. You know, so check your sources and all that. But it's interesting that everybody's trying to recruit out of these Facebook groups. And the point that I get down to is there are, we're not even scratching the surface of, you know, agents out there, you know, be different than everybody else. I mean, I bet there's, I haven't seen numbers on this, but I would almost bet you that there are more people than in the largest Facebook group. If the number was 7,000, I would almost bet you that there's more than 7,000 people a month that are getting newly licensed. Where are they going? Yeah. I mean, from, from an agency standpoint, you know, if you can get a top producer, a big producer in our product, that's great. I mean, kudos to you. The, generally speaking, though, a top producer is taken care of and they're not going to move. So I personally, like I have built out my own call center internally in my agency and in the office. My wife and I bought a building last year. Uh, we have about 2000 square feet dedicated to a call center. There's 20 call center seats with one uh, floor seat for the manager. Um Per capita right now, the call center, and this is calling B leads, no new data. This is calling direct mail that has been generated that is, you know, 60, 90 days old, something like that. They're calling old data is my is the top producing team in the entire agency of, of the core agency that I track. Um, and their average uh, apps per week is 11.2 per right. agent. 11.2 apps per agent. And, and the takeaway that I would say from that is these are neophyte agents who have never sold Medicare before. All but one of them are newly licensed. We paid for them to get appointed with the Texas Department of Insurance. I paid all their appointment fees, all their carrier fees, everything. 
these agents come in, they're, they're put into a system and they work the system to its, you know, nth degree. And what, what's interesting is one of an agent that I referenced earlier that I didn't use his name, uh, joined me from banker's life and casually in a captive position. He's setting the world on fire. And one of the things, as far as independently goes, one of the things that I find intriguing about this gentleman is that, you know, he wants to learn and he wants to grow. And he looks, he looks at me as a, as a role model for success. And, and all that I can say is you make your money in prospect, not in presenting, you know, if, if and Glenn, I know this is something with the, the leads type deal. Yeah. Prospecting is the hardest part of this job. I mean, if, if, you, if you don't want to do the prospecting outsources to somebody like Glenn, who's willing to do it for you. I mean, getting in front of the consumer is the hardest part. Selling is not hard. I mean, and I use the term and, Somebody can shoot me later for saying this. I use the term when we're selling Medicare Advantage plans, we're not really selling. You're enrolling somebody. Order taking. Something. Yeah, exactly. How are you selling something that yep. doesn't have a premium? People don't think about stuff like that. And, what, and what's, in, what's really, really, really interesting is that if you talk to the life guys, like I, I know that FFL gets mentioned a lot or um, – what's the other big the other big live shops that people bash on the Facebook groups? Symmetry or somebody like that. Yes. Yeah, PHP yeah. and all that. You know, the, yeah. I don't have a dog in the fight with any of those people. I don't know any of them. Never met any of them. I've ironically, and this isn't a cue to do this. I've never been recruited by any of them, which is ironic because I get added by those people all the time. Um, but the funny thing is, is I was told an adage and, and I, I, I think by a, a lot of adages that I've been told throughout the years and, you know, it says that health insurance is offered, life insurance is sold. I mean, if you're collecting a premium from somebody, if you've got to paint the picture for somebody, place them in that picture and then collect the premium, that's actually selling. You know, when you're just comparing networks and, and selling the sizzle of, of how this plan works better, and that's how 90% of Medicare Advantage plans are sold, is they're sold on the sizzle, the extra benefits. Um, you know, when you're when you're doing that type of business, you should be able to close 100 percent of people that you see. Um, it's how how do you get in front of and, and that's the thing that I try to tell everybody, you know, does everybody need to produce 10 apps a week? The answer is no. If you're happy with two apps a week, that's fine. Let's come up with a scalable model to get you to your two apps a week. You know, break it down to ridiculous. How many appointments nets you an application? So we know we need to double that number. How many contacts does it take you to get to that? You know, how many events does it take you to generate that many leads or everything is duplicatable backwards on the numbers based system. And, and like I said, if you are no good at prospecting, reach in the hip national, reach in your back pocket and pay somebody to do the prospecting for you. Um, you know, Glenn, and what's interesting that, that you'll find about this is that the group that was in my office the last two days, they're from South Texas. They actually just did a contract with you uh, to do some leads. And I was like, I'd like to know how those work. I, you know, I know that I've messaged you back and forth several different times and we've just never been able to connect. Um, I, you know, I've done a lot of business with, and I'm not using names. I've done business with the Facebook people who generate Facebook leads. And I have personally have not had success. I'm, and I know that people are selling lots of business off of Facebook. It didn't work for me. Yeah. I have an idea who that is. <laughs> <laughs> it, um, no, the one thing that you mentioned earlier, Brian, that really hit home for me too, is you were, you were talking about essentially diversifying 
you know, your marketing strategy. And I was just yeah. talking with an agent today and, and I kind of said the same thing. I'm like, listen, you know, we're not necessarily going to be a silver bullet where you can use us a hundred percent of the time all year, you know, and, and we kind of fit in differently in everyone's marketing portfolio. But, um, you know, it, it really is like, you have to be ready to potentially cannibalize yourself. There's a story that came to mind when you were talking about this earlier, Brian, um, is when Apple, Apple was really terrified when they first created the iPad that it was going to cannibalize the iPhone sales, but they felt like it was the future. And so, you know, even though it might potentially hurt themselves overall and their revenue and the products they're trying to sell, they were, they were willing to cannibalize themselves because they wanted to be more diverse and they wanted to really bet on the future. And I think marketing, it's the same way in this industry. You can't be 100% in one thing. Things like the pandemic can happen. Response rates can change quickly. You know, with direct mail, obviously the postage cost could change. And all of a sudden your cost per lead goes up, your acquisition cost goes up. Um, and it's all the way around, though. It really isn't just one thing. And, and what we do with the call center lead generation, it's the same thing. You know, things can change quickly. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd love I'd love to talk to you some more about it, probably off camera. But um, I think, like you said, one of the hardest parts is the prospecting and making sure the leads get worked. That's the hardest part as an agency owner is making sure the leads get worked, generating the leads hard, getting an agent to sell to the lead is hard. Like consistently generating leads and consistently having agents actually put in the effort to sell the leads is really, really hard. And to take it a step further from what you were saying earlier, you know, there's also something that doesn't get talked about and it's the, the prospect, the Medicare beneficiary on the other end of this, you know, if they said they wanted to talk to someone and no one's reaching back out to them, you know, I'm at a point where I would almost feel guilty as someone who does the marketing you know, this is someone who genuinely wants help from an insurance agent. And here's an insurance agent who's not helping them <laughs> or not even having the conversation, even if it's not a fit, even if it's not something they can sell. So um, I, I think, yeah, I just, again, just from kind of talking with you and hearing, hearing some of the stuff you're saying, I think you have a really good idea of the, the ins and outs of what these agents normally do. Uh, a question I have for you too. So would you say bringing someone in brand new who's not licensed and taking them from on license to a licensed agent to selling, is that really what you would recommend if someone was trying to start their own agency that they should take someone who's not licensed versus trying to recruit an already licensed agent? A brand new person, a newbie. Brand new, never been in insurance before. If you were starting an agency, obviously is the way that I prospect and present the same way as Christian? Probably not. Does my way work better than his? Probably not. Does, his, does, does the way that, that I generate my leads, is it the same as Christian? Probably not. The, the whole point is, is that you have a system that works for you. I want somebody, and I'll use the term, and, and, it's, and it's cliche in the industry, is the, is the term FAT, flexible, adaptable, and trainable. That's the person that I want on my team. You know, I would interview a prospect, you know, somebody that wants to come on to my agency. This is something that I learned a long time ago in a recruiting spiel. Um, when, when you're doing an interview with somebody face to face, a very effective question to ask is, you know, were you involved in team sports? And the reason for the team sports question is that I want to know that somebody is coachable because if they were never involved in team sports, I'm not saying that they're not going to be successful, 
but you stand a much better chance of that person being able to fit in a system and, and you being able to plug and play. The biggest thing, and, and this is going to sound funny when I say this, if I was interviewing Glenn right now face-to-face for a job, when I go to leave, I'm going to ask Glenn to stand up and I'm going to stay seated. You know why I'm going to ask that question? I'm going to judge Glenn by his reaction. He's going to do one of three things. He's either going to stand up, he's going to hesitate, or he's going to ask why. What's important about that is the person that asks why is more than likely always going to be a problem child. They're going to come back and forth and they're going to ask, why do I need to do this? What if this way works better? We don't have a successful business because we did something wrong. I'm not saying there's not. (laughs) Right. Right. The, The person who hesitates, they're going to hesitate to get on the phone. They're going to hesitate to go into a home. They're going to hesitate when they're in the prospect. They're going to hesitate to close. And, you know, one of the things that I feel that I, I like to do with my agents is that I will train on uh, sales ability. I, you can name anybody that I do business with. I don't train on product. I don't train on carriers. I don't train on uh, the marketing piece. I kind of leave to myself and help people out with that. Um, but what I do is I'm old school sales. Like Zig Ziglar is, is a hero of mine. If you teach somebody a choice close, that'll teach them how to prospect and close in the house. You teach them a pregnant pause. You teach them the memory close and the Ben Franklin close. I don't care what they're selling. They're going to be successful if they know how to do those four closes. And that's that takes you from prospecting to presenting to closing the product, you'll be successful in that. And the problem that I have with most veteran agents is, is that they want to come in. They already have bad habits. They might have a big book of business. They might not have a big book of business. One of the other things that I've seen is, is that it's really, really, really hard to take ownership. It's really hard for an agent to take ownership of a issue at hand. They always want to pass blame on somebody else. Um, I've, I've seen a lot of success. Yeah. I totally agree with all of that. I've seen a lot of success with agents who are going. So I guess to play devil's advocate here is agents who are already licensed, who are switching lines of insurance. So like a, a life insurance agent who's failing at selling life. I've seen them come over to the health side and being recruited in and being able to learn new habits and to be successful. But there's definitely bad agents who have bad habits and it can be very hard to break those bad habits for sure. Right. I think, I think what it is that with that, like, I, I feel like this is going to sound really bad. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, I'm questioning if I should even say it, but I'm going to, I'm going to, damn it. I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. Let's go. The last three or four days have taught me anything. It's that um, people, people pay attention to me when I just say that I'm thinking um, a loser is a loser whether they're a new agent or an experienced agent, right? I think that kind of like what I take out of what, what you just said, Brian, is like you can, you, you can, you can ask them very um, technical and, you know, um, direct questions that can kind of help you determine what kind of person they are, whether they're a new agent or an experienced agent, right? And so like the way that I look at it is, it, it, to, to, it, this is just my opinion. To me, I don't really, of course, you know, it's easier to mold and train a brand new agent. Cause like you said, they don't have bad habits. They don't have this big ego. They haven't, you know, 
won a sales contest 10 years ago and they think they're the greatest salesperson in the world. So obviously that person's easier to mold, but I feel like, you know, I feel like a person that is because, because let's face it, this is, this industry is not for everybody. Right. I sure. think, I think it was, um, I think Nick Frumkin said that when he came on a couple of weeks ago, or maybe he said it in one of their videos, but I, I remember him saying that. And I, I agree with that. I feel like it's what it comes down to is, is it the right person? You know, and like, I like what you said there. Are they, are I, well, so are they, are they, what, what is it? Fat? Flexible, uh, yeah. flexible adaptable, flexible, training. adaptable and trainable. Yeah. I mean, I think that cause what it comes down to, I don't know if it's so much a new agent thing or an experienced agent thing, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, I can, I'll give a personal story of myself. I think that it could be a leadership issue too. Uh, and, and here's where I'll say that I started off in the business at 18 years old, didn't know anything about anything. I mean, I could spell insurance and that was about the extent to it. <laughs> There's a whole lot of people that are more intelligent, book smart than me, but that doesn't mean they're a better salesperson than I am. For example, I'll go on record. And I've not really told anybody this. I failed the insurance license exam the first time that I took it. Does so that, did I. Does that make me a bad person? And I actually, it's funny that we bring that up. I actually tell my mom, I said, the people that I know that did the best on the insurance exam generally are the lowest producing agents are too analytical. Yeah. And my dad said the same thing. My dad's been saying that for years. <laughs> so I told my mom, I said, you know, I think that the people that I do business with that actually failed it the first time, they had the initiative to go and pass it the second or third or fourth or fifth time, whatever it took. Those are the guys that write the most business. So the personal story that I get to is that when I started in the business, I was trained by a 72 year old man. Not saying that there was an issue with a 72-year-old man, but he wanted to be done at lunchtime. He wanted to take his nap and be done with it. He was on the Spain diet. You know, I want to take a siesta for three hours. Sign me up. Sign me up. I'm ready. Let's go. Man, I wish I had that manager. Dang. (laughs) So this is what I thought. I thought that I I was under this gentleman for for five weeks, and I sold six policies in five weeks. Um, At the time, I truly believe this. We were a captive company, but on the Medicare Advantage side, I do believe that we had a superior product in the place. We had a private paper service that was a zero premium, had dental. It was one of the first MA plans that ever had dental. I mean, you'd have to be, you'd almost have to be deceased to not be able to sell the plan. It was that good. Right. Um, The the problem was I couldn't sell it. I mean, I sucked. I mean, I'll I'll just point blank call a spade a spade. I was terrible. (laughs) I didn't know anything. And what, what happened for me was, and maybe this is kind of a, a circle to your answer, a very political answer to your question, Christian, is that I was, I, I went to the, the manager of the office and I said, Hey, Robin, I haven't, I have a problem with John. John was the guy's name. And I said, it's nothing that he did wrong. I just don't think my personality fits him. You know, it's like, you can, I can onboard a hundred clients, do they all fit my personality? No, I mean, I've, I'll, I'm not afraid to fire a client at all. I mean, like you can work with somebody else in my agency or you can work with another agent. I mean, if, if I don't be afraid, don't think that as an agent, you have to keep every single person. And that was the same mentality that I, that I went to with, with Robin at the time. I said, hey, I'm struggling here. I don't know what to do. She goes, well, hey, I'm fixing to actually promote this gentleman named Sean. Sean took me out into the field on a Saturday I don't know. I can't explain it other than a light bulb went off that day and I've never slowed down since then. Um, That one day I went out with him, I sold four policies on a Saturday and it all made sense. I was struggling with my presentation. I was struggling with my closing. And basically what Sean put it to me, the simplest way he could, 
and, and this is stuck. The biggest battle that you're, you'll face as an agent is in between your left and right ear. Whether you think you're right or you think you're wrong, you're absolutely correct. And yep. what, what he told me was is that, and, and this was the thing, and, I, and I've carried this in confidence speaking in front of groups. You know, some people can, they're great talking face-to-face with a client. You get in front of five people, they crumble. You get in front of 20 people, they crumble. I'm not afraid to talk in front of a crowd of 10,000. You know I mean? And I think that why that is is because – if you feel um, knowledgeable, you feel that that you know what you're talking about, that aura follows you. So what he told me was is that you're dealing with people that are on Medicare that have no idea how their Medicare works. You can talk to 100 people and you'll know more than the next 100 people that you talk to just by knowing how Part A and Part B works, you know, as far as a benefit period. I, you could quiz, and, and I would actually like to put out, and I don't think that this would be very ethical to do, but it would be kind of funny to do, is that if you actually put out a quiz that explained how part A and part B worked and have questions on how it actually works and the way that a agent thinks that part A works as far as like a benefit period goes, when does a benefit period start and when does a benefit period end? I would bet you that 70% of agents that are engrossed in these groups couldn't tell you the correct answer. But they sold a lot of insurance. 100%, yeah. They sold a lot of insurance. And the reason that they sold a lot of insurance is they carry the the R around that, hey, I can do this. And, um, you know, I'm not saying giving bad information is what you need to do. I'm not definitely not throwing that out there as a disclaimer. But, I mean, if you if you think you can, you can. If you think you can't, you can't. And I think that to, to go back to your original question is that sometimes it's not the agent's fault. Sometimes it is a, a conflict of interest with with a manager. You know, I've I've switched people around just as, as I. There was a gentleman and I forget his name was talking about. Um, ship sailing or something who sunk my ship. I don't, I don't remember the name of their, their deal. Uh, but what the, my big takeaway from those guys were is that you've got to create a team environment, you know, show your core values of your group. And, and that's interesting. Like if I were to get up right now and walk and, and show you my office, our core values are on the glass wall going into our call center. You know, I have core values on the glass wall of the conference room. I, I have, you've got to build a team environment. And I have where I'm going with that is I've had a couple different agents in a different state that had a personality conflict with their manager that I put them, I, I end up to save them. I moved them to another team um, and worked with them remotely. And two of those agents are, are 150 app a year producers that were going to just go, they were going to get out of the business altogether. And so <clears throat> if you think about 150 app a year producer, those guys have done the same model of business for five and six years now. They have $100,000 plus in renewals. Yeah. They were ready to give up, and it wasn't necessarily their fault. It was who they were tied to. So, I mean, I think that there's a happy medium. I mean, I personally feel that most of the time um, it's a it's a self-accountability issue with the agent because that's the one hard – that's the hardest thing, in my opinion, to do with an agent from a management standpoint – uh, from an agency standpoint, this kind of piggybacks on what Glenn was talking about, is accountability is hard. If, if you're not self-accountable, it's really hard for me. If, if, if I worked with Christian in Utah, it would be really hard for me to hold Christian accountable to anything at all. And, and I think that 
there's freedom that comes with this this job and this this role, but you, you've got to stay laser focused and do it day in and day out because you miss two days. Two days does it hurt me now? No, I mean I you know I got forty thousand dollars in my account from AEP. That's awesome, but right. that two days or that two weeks is going to hurt you. It's going to punish you in a month. You're yep. going to see that, and, and, and agents don't think about that. So, um, it, it 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 is an interesting dynamic there that. I think that it could be twofold there to answer your question, Christian. Yeah. And I agree. I agree. I don't think anything is always just a black and white thing. Um, It's funny because, you know, doing this show with Glenn, like maybe nine, 10 months now, I've heard so many stories and situations where like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll generate a batch of leads for somebody and they'll spend the money on it and they don't call the leads. And he's like pulling his hair out and he's like, don't call it's, it. It's a, it's a real problem. Like it's a, like, it's, it's a problem. Like they'll, they'll could not call them at all or they'll call them just once and then determine that they're dead yeah. or something like that. I, I never have understood that mentality. Uh, the, that, that's why. Yeah. Well, that's the crazy part though, is like, you know, again, I'll, and, and I probably have it better than like a lot of FMOs or agency owners who are doing marketing and, and they're absorbing all the costs. I think that's a nightmare scenario because you have an agent who has no financial buy-in on the marketing. And so there's so many reasons for them to not work the leads because they didn't actually put anything towards the leads. But um, the study I like to reference that I heard at LeadsCon um, from... I'm blanking on the company name right now, but it was a dialer company and they analyzed over 40,000 leads that came into their dialer and a third of the leads were never contacted. And then about another third of the leads were only contacted one time. (laughs) A single phone call going out to the lead, whether that lead was, you know, picked up the phone, they said, call me back. So you have almost two thirds of this (laughs) 40,000 sample size where they were either not called at all or they were only called once. And I think that is probably a rough rule of thumb for how most of these agents are working the leads. I mean, the conversations I'll have with some of these agents, well, I called all the leads twice. You know, I talked to 30% of the leads, I'm done. And it's just like, okay, well, if you only talk to 30% of the leads, there's probably at least another 30 or 40% of people that you need to actually connect with. Yes, you're not going to get everybody on the phone, but um, that's, yeah, it really comes like that self-accountability. Like you just got to do the job. Like you got to put in time. You know, I was thinking about the most successful Medicare agent I know. um, And it's the same thing that you were saying, Brian. It's she's, she, I don't think she's a genius. I don't think she's a better salesperson than, than other people. I think there's a lot of people that I'd probably consider a better, a better salesperson, but she is dialing full time, six days a week. She's doing the activity. She's putting in the hours and that's how she's able to produce significantly more than the average agent. You know, she can do a hundred apps in a month on new business because she's working 60 hours a week, 240 hours a month. I'd say 99 out of a hundred agents will not work 60 hours a week. They are like the agent that trained you. It's noon. I'm going to have lunch and I'm going home. I'm done for the day. That's the average mentality in this industry. So what what I'm, what I'm getting out of this is you had for two thirds of the agents that are out there. If you call your leads more than once, you have 
like an infinitely higher chance of not failing out. That's what I get out of this. Yes. And I'll give you a little secret about calling too. Um, Call the same lead three times back to back to back and watch what your pickup ratio does. Yep. That's, that's a huge thing that you can do that you can implement that doesn't cost you any money. And I I mean, that's something that if your pickup rate, your, your morale goes up and Glenn, I was talking to on a, on, the topic that you were just talking about. I was talking to a lead vendor last week about co-reg data. And I know that you probably know what I'm referring to there. Most Absolutely. He had 30 day old co-reg data that he would sell me for 25 cents a name. And they track the co-reg data. So there's several different dynamics of what they're doing when they're collecting this data. It's opted in stuff. I'm on the fence about it, but the whole point about what he said, much like you said about two thirds number, he told me that 70% of the data that they generate, they sell, and it's and it's tracked in a CRM system that that lead is never touched. Nobody ever calls the lead. I'm like, I don't understand how these organizations are buying these, these leads, these names, these numbers, and not following up. You know, another thing, I was talking with a call center partner that I have that, that they have a third-party company doing something similar to what you do, and uh, much like how you have to um, – be diverse in what you do. You'll know what I'm talking about when I say DIDs. A lot of people won't. Yeah. Their, their DIDs got burned. Well, through the dialer that they were using, um, it took their, the person who manages their dialer, took them nine days to get their DIDs back up. So they went and tried to start buying these leads, these transfers from another group, and they taxed the fire out of them. You know, they were able to do their, their transfers for X number. When they bought them through another group, they, the price almost doubled. And so, you know, it's don't like I said, don't be one dimensional and have a plan B for everything. So um, the, the leads piece is very interesting. You know, LeadsCon is a I think it is a very interesting thing to go to. Uh, I've been to two of them. Um, you know, I, I forget what the, the competition to LeadsCon is, but it's the two weeks after in Vegas this year. I was thinking about maybe going to both of them just to see what was up. But. The last time I was in Vegas, I, I left the light bill for the, the Bellagio on the table. So, <laughs> no, I, I think that I, I do think that agents, you know, self accountability is the biggest thing, and I think that the morale thing is is the other. Those are the two biggest things to make a successful agent. Um, keep a positive mental attitude. Uh, w. Clement Stone, if if you've ever heard of that name before, absolutely. That's one of the things that were the, the model that I came from, Combined Insurance Company of America. That was something that they preach a lot of, and that's PMA, the positive mental attitude. And, um, you know, then they do what they call an R2A2, which what the R2A2 is, is you, you hear somebody talk. You know, there's probably been five or six or seven different things that somebody would have heard in the last hour that they might have liked. But if it goes in your left ear and out the right ear and you don't implement anything, what was the point of even listening? So, you know, anytime that you're talking with somebody and not everything is meant for somebody, but if you can literally take one piece of something that you hear in a conversation with somebody that you, you know, are, are listening to for growth, um, take something out and implement that and, and, and don't be afraid to reach out. And I think that some of the movers and shakers in, in these groups, you know, um, I think the problem is, is that people think that these guys are unapproachable. You know, you can, a lot of these guys, you know, I'll I'll throw Ricky Ballard's name out there. Ricky Ballard. He's a great dude. Is a great dude. I mean, I've, I've been out several different times. Ricky's came and visited me. Uh, My wife had a little incident. He came and offered to help with my wife. Um, 
one of the genuine most salt of the earth guys. And Ricky would be a hundred percent approachable at any point in time and never ask for a contract. He's, he just wants, he's, he's a people helper. So, you know, I, I think that if you're stuck in a situation, you know, don't think that you talk to somebody in these groups and you're going to be recruited. And, you know, I, I just, I think that keeping a, a positive attitude and, and stay laser focused on, on growth and not focusing on the minutia of the business is, is how to be successful. I agree. I agree hundred percent. Like, you know, one thing that I observed when I was in Memphis for Medicare con was the amount of people that maybe were like, you know, had that kind of mentality, you know, not, not just for me, a little bit for me, but like for other people, you know, on, in, in that are, you know, I don't know what you want to call them, people that run groups or, you know, big names in, in, in the groups and on the social media, you know, they're, they're just kind of intimidated to talk to them. Like any person that walked up to me in Memphis, I was all about it. You know, I'm like, I'm like, great to meet you. Yeah. I recognize your name. Yeah. We've talked, we messaged a little bit back and forth, you know, like most people are just people, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, it's, 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 you know, it's not like you're, you're, you're talking to Tom Cruise or something like you literally, you walking up to them is not something that happens every day. Like sure. people at the, people at Walmart probably don't recognize Justin Brock, you know, like probably not, you know, like there's probably not like the, it's the, the, the Medicare the, guru. Oh my gosh. You know, like, so hoverboard. <laughs> I, I think for most of those guys, and I can say it for me, like, you know, when someone does walk up to me and want to talk to me, it is, it's flattering. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm happy to help, happy to, you know, answer a question, you know, whatever they, whatever I can do to help it. It's, it's a flattering thing. I think for most people, they feel that way. Absolutely. Well, I want to be respectful of both of you guys' times. We're, we're just past that hour mark that we try to stay under. So any final thoughts, uh, Brian, I'd, I'd love to start with you. Any final thoughts after just kind of chatting today that, that you'd like to share before we wrap up? I just would say that, you know, as long as, as long as you're, you know, six feet above the ground, it's a good day or six feet. Yeah. Above the, the well, that's probably terrible. Word. As long as, as long as you're breathing and, and everything, it's a good day, you know, focus on, like I said, I mean, I, I think that a hundred percent of this business is derivative around your mindset. This, <coughs> that's the, the biggest thing that I can say. And, and don't let other people's numbers dictate whether you're a good or bad agent. Those are the, the two biggest things that I think, especially in these Facebook groups, because, you know, much like, you know, we chatted about earlier, I think that um, not all numbers that are posted are 100 percent new numbers. And, and the new numbers is how you, like I said, grow a block and grow a business. And, you know, Glenn mentioned a couple of, um, of uh, acronyms earlier. You know, as an agent, you need to track your CPA and that's not your guy that does your taxes. You know, track your cost per acquisition. What is what does it cost you to generate a lead? What does that lead? How many leads does it take you to make a sale? You know, you need to know those metrics backwards. So I'll, I'll reference Andrew again. We've had several conversations back and forth that we'll we'll use acronyms that like I, I think is common day uh, vernacular, and and people just look at me like I'm I'm from a foreign country. I mean, they and I think it's just general doing business, but I think that as a business owner, and that's the way that you should think about this as a business owner, you need to know every metric of your business. And if somebody asks you a question, like on the spot, you should be Johnny on the spot, knowing those numbers. And if you don't know those numbers, that's a problem. Go back and do your research and figure those out. 
I, oof, that's the whole episode right there. I mean, yeah. know your numbers, know how your business is running. And my final thoughts, you guys, to kind of build on that is I really look at it. It's almost like you're playing golf as an insurance agent. You're really playing against yourself. It's, it's not, you know, it's not this massive competitive sport where, you know, every other agent out there, just like Brian was saying earlier, the average Medicare agent is only writing, you know, one application every couple months, guys, like that's the average agent. That is your competition <laughs> is, is someone who's putting out one app every two months. So it's, it's really about, you know, bettering yourself. How can you get better? How can you stay positive? How can you stay consistent, especially with activity, you know, just like practicing a sport? You know, you, you have to be consistent. You have to keep doing it and call the freaking leads, you guys. <laughs> call, call the, the leads. leads. Call the leads. Christian, for the love of God, call the leads. For the love of God, call the leads. Pick up the phone. Um, freaking call the leads. So should my final statement be my statement that I promised Good. everybody earlier? You um, could. Let's hear it. I, I was I was trying to decide if I wanted to do it at the beginning or at the end, and I was like, I'm gonna do it at the end because we, yeah. we you know we just kind of started you know guns a blazing and this and it started out so good I didn't want to interrupt anything, um, so I'll, I'll just go into my statement now. Um, so last three or four days there, um, and I know a lot of people will end up watching this. I don't know how many of you watch this far into the video, but hopefully you do. Um, last three or four, three or four days, things have gotten fairly dramatic in the world of six-figure Medicare agent. Um, <laughs> and my, my take on it, guys, is this. Um, I am partly to blame because I love to stir the pot. I mean, anybody, anybody that knows me knows I, I really do not care, you know? Like, I love to stir the pot. Like, it's, it's, it's something that I enjoy. Um, you know, we had a huge FMO leader basically like call me out in front of the whole world. So that was interesting. That was a fun Saturday. Um, and then, you know, we, and then when, when Tony and my mind's video dropped yesterday, there was a lot of heat about that, a lot of pushback. And um, my, my whole thing guys is I never want six figure Medicare agent to be about drama. I don't want it to be the Jerry Springer of, the insurance industry. That's not what it's about. Um, in my opinion, I think that what it's about is a place to share information. Now, do some from time to time things get a little dramatic? Am I kind of a drama queen sometimes? Maybe a little bit. But um, I just wanted to let all you guys know that moving forward, I'm going to try to keep a closer eye on it. I'm going to try to limit it a little bit. Um, but I'm not going to stop being who I am. And who I am is somebody that is not censored. It's somebody that is going to speak my mind at all times. And sometimes people aren't going to like it. And um, I just have to do a better job with how I respond to the people that don't like what I have to say. And um, I, I, I appreciate everybody that's part of the group that makes it special because it's a special place. It's a great community. So that's my statement. That's my closing statement, guys, for what's gone on the last three, four days. Thank you, governor. Thank you, <laughs> governor Brindle. We appreciate, we appreciate the, the final statement there. You guys, every, every Tuesday, 3 PM Pacific standard, 6 PM Eastern. We are right here. You can also listen to any of the episodes that we're doing 
on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere that you can find a major podcast. Just search Taco Tuesday. We will be there. Uh, and also for replay at the Six Figure Medicare Agent YouTube channel, you guys. Mm-hmm. Till next Tuesday. Happy selling. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Brian. Thanks yeah. for coming on.